Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Journal Podcasts. This podcast contains recording from the News Hour at Beaver Congress 2022. So next up is Dave Stack, who's going to review some surgery papers for us. Good morning, everybody. Uh, it's a real honor to speak to you all this morning. I'm here this morning to champion uh, the humble case report. Low man on the research, um, on the research pile, uh, often uh, is overlooked and underrespected. But the case report has a lot of merit. Not only is it an accessible gateway uh, to research for people interested in pursuing. Uh, a career in research or even dabbling in some research. They're also really interesting to read. Uh, and of course, if you, if you stumble upon a case uh, for which there is a, a case report written, you can delve into that case report and gain some useful information from them. Uh, I'm going to take this opportunity to shamelessly uh, promote and congratulate uh, some of our ex-University of Liverpool interns uh, who have published in the last year. So we've got uh, Chloe Smith from Walnut Hill now, uh, Nicolie Matty in Lower House uh, with Simon Woods and Maria Hibner. I trolled the internet for a photo of Maria. I don't know if anybody knows her, but I don't think there's a photograph of her in existence. Um, she's now in Pool House uh, embarking on a residency in, in equine surgery. So we're very proud of uh, all of these uh, ex-interns. Looking at specifically uh, surgical case reports, um, I think they showcase really, uh, really well all of those positive traits that we think of uh, when, we, uh, when we talk about and when we think about what equine surgeons are all about. Uh, and some of those terms are, are uh, visible here in this word cloud that was produced uh, from the survey responses uh, from a study performed by uh, the vet school in, uh, down in Surrey. And I know there'll be a few people focusing on the red. Please don't focus on the red, guys. Uh, let's look down in the lower right-hand corner there. Precise, skilled, practical. That's what's on display in these, uh, in these surgical case reports. Surgeons operating at the kind of the limit of their capabilities. So I think uh, we need to recognize the huge workload that goes into not just managing these cases, but also um, writing them up and, and getting them through the review process. So congratulations to everybody who's managed to get uh, something published. It's a really big achievement and you should be proud. So I've just set out uh, my position on the, the very lofty heights of uh, how surgeons uh, deem themselves. But in reality, we all know that actually they just like chopping stuff out. So here's a couple of case studies on chopping stuff out of horses. So this is an aneurysmal bone cyst. Uh, this is the team down in the RVC, some really interesting x-rays there, and managed to successfully uh, excise very delicately, I'm sure, and very skillfully and deftly uh, excise this aneurysmal bone cyst from this uh, false cannon bone with good uh, effect and a positive outcome there. Uh, moving across the water to my old alma mater, U UCD, uh, published a case report here with some lovely CT imagery, and from Anna Maria's talk, uh, we can see how CT is becoming much more prevalent in the management of orthopedic, orthopedic cases and some lovely pictures here, including intra-articular uh, intra contrast uh, CT as well. Uh, so they um, diagnosed a, a plantar medial trochlear ridge uh, comminuted fracture uh, from the talus in a foal. 
uh, and successfully, uh, successfully removed. And I think the take-home message here is every time we see a lame fold, a swollen joint or an effused joint, we assume it's septic. I'd encourage you still embark on that rule out sepsis. But if, if the joint isn't septic, then you, you need to pay closer attention to your imaging, your X-ray and ultrasound. And actually the fragment was visible on the original X-rays. Uh, jumping across to uh, the University of Cairo now, this is a donkey foe, the congenital luxation of the patella. Uh, so the, the, the challenge is always, how do you reposition the patella and then stabilize it? And the strategy they adopted uh, in this case was to perform a recession trochleoplasty. So deepen the groove between the two trochlear ridges uh, to stabilize uh, and to encourage the patella to reside in its correct position. And they've managed that successfully. And, uh, some nice, um, actually some chopping out visible on those pictures. Um, had I seen this fold in the middle, I definitely would have thought that this was uh, an abscess of some sort. I've never seen a parachial air cyst before, uh, but the guys in Auburn have very skillfully uh, dealt with this case and managed this case um, by dissecting it in, in quite an anatomically challenging location. I thought I'd learnt everything about foot x-rays that there was to learn, uh, but then I'm crossing over with uh, the, the imaging talk here, but uh, there is indeed a kind of a fragment that I wasn't, avail uh, I wasn't aware of that uh, we can see. And this is a palmar or plantarolateral osteochondral fragment, uh, and it originates in the uh, proximal aspect, the articular surface of P3, so the distal phalanx. And, uh, if it's intra-articular, obviously, will will result in lameness. Uh, they operated on two of these horses and successfully removed the fragment in one of the horses. Uh, so I think, if I, in truth, that I'd seen X-ray A and I was in a rush and I was looking at my looking at the X-ray on my iPhone, I might have thought that that was a fragment emanating from the distal border of the navicular bone. So it just goes to show we need to pay careful attention to the the things, uh, even if they're. Uh, well within our wheelhouse, so to speak. We need to pay close attention uh, and take the time to interpret these images uh, correctly. That's an interesting case report there. I know this is a, definitely a stretch uh, talking about a case uh, series of 131 horses. Of course it isn't, but uh, this topic is really pertinent here in the northwest of, uh, of England, and I think probably throughout the UK as well. We see lots of ponies and cobs and other horses with digital flexor tendon sheath problems. Uh, this is, a, uh, like I said, a big case series from, um, from Berlin, the University in Berlin. Um, and I think a couple of take-home messages here is they looked at the diagnosis and prognosis of horses undergoing tenoscopy. Um, one of the key findings here is that only 55 horses rehabbed in less than six months. And I think certainly I've been guilty of pushing these horses a little bit too fast, too soon. And based on this study, it would seem that maybe we need to be a little bit more patient with these horses, give them some time um, with um, a good proportion of horses, approximating 50% of horses only recovering after the initial six months. Um, other things we, we, we uh, were, were kind of confirmed here, things that we already know, uh, that DDFT lesions have the worst prognosis, for example. But a very worthwhile paper to delve into if you're seeing lots of these cases or you want to um, learn a little bit more about digital flexor tenosynovitis. So if we're not chopping stuff out, we like to put stuff in there, don't we? We all know surgeons who like to put a screw in or plate in or whatever. So let's see what what surgeons have been up to for the last year. 
Uh, so here, this is a foal with a rye nose from the University of Zurich. Uh, they've managed to put three plates in here, including a string of pearls plate, uh, to correct this um, to correct this rye nose. So lots of hardware in there, and certainly lots of happy surgeons once that foal um, uh, recovered well. And, and actually, the aesthetic outcome uh, isn't too bad, considering. Again, lovely imagery, the 3D recon there uh, on the CT uh, showing the, the pathology very clearly and very nicely. Another congenital luxation, this time in an Arabian foal. Uh, so kind of highlighting the strategy of how we manage these cases. So the patella is later, laterally positioned in, in this foal. Uh, so what they've done is they've imbricated or um, uh, created a sort of a mattress, overriding mattress of tissue on the medial side to pull that patella into a more normal position and then have bolstered their imbrication uh, with a uh, polypropylene mesh. And that's from the University of Israel uh, and Kaiser Gustafsson. I'm sure she's not here, but she was a, a, an intern way back in Dublin um, when I was training and uh, is a, a really enthusiastic person. I think that's evident, hardworking too, evident from uh, the diagrams that she has uh, generated for this case study. So interesting approach perhaps both of these could be employed um, in foals with, uh, with uh, congenital luxations as well. Uh, so that way we get to chop stuff out and put stuff in in the same surgery. Uh, Olecranon fractures, I think we're all familiar with uh, the fact that these are repaired uh, with plates now and screws and, and, and can do pretty well depending on the configuration of the fracture. Uh, but Brian O'Mara um, and Pablo Jimenez have published a, a case series of three of these that were repaired uh, in a standing horse. Uh, so I think in a standing horse, most of us will be performing a fracture repair like this. Most of us will be a bit anxious about whether or not we could analgese the area appropriately uh, and uh, whether or not we could avoid infection. Well, both of those uh, problems seem to be overcome here by the authors. Um, only one of the three cases developed surgical site infection, and it was mild enough that they could leave the implants in place uh, until three months, then remove them, and all three horses uh, seemed to uh, two recovered, and one is still recovering. Uh, it's on paddock rest. So interesting stuff there. And again, not advocating standing olecranon fracture in all olecranon fractures, but if there's comorbidities um, that preclude that horse from undergoing a GA, um, then uh, this is a potential option for those cases. Uh, we like to take advantage of technological advances as surgeons. Uh, and here uh, we're using, uh, or the authors here have used barbed suture uh, to repair diaphragmatic hernias via, the, via a thoracoscopic approach. If anybody has ever tried to tie knots intracorporeally, and that means tying the knot inside the horse when you're standing outside the horse and all you have are instruments in your hands through the portals, it's really challenging. Uh, the barbed suture uh, obviates that or takes away the, the need to tie these knots intracorporeally. Uh, and these diaphragmatic hernias were repaired successfully Thoroscopy, uh, many practices have the equipment to perform this. It's the same equipment that we use to perform a laparoscopy, uh, but it's probably an underutilized uh, both in, uh, diagnostic tool and interventional tool uh, in the UK. So keep your eye out for uh, cases that might benefit from uh, thoroscopy. Sometimes we get to do both, uh, chop stuff out and put stuff in. Uh, again, jumping back to the University of Zurich, where they tackle some of these really challenging orthopedic cases. Uh, this is an eight-month-old foal with hind limb, bilateral, severe angular limb deformity. 
So this isn't going to be treatable with uh, glue-on extensions or even a transficeal uh, bridge. The real novel part of this, again, coming back to CT, is that they CT'd the horse and then used those uh, CT images to generate uh, 3D printed uh, models of the bones. Uh, and then they could use those models to optimize their wedge ostectomy. So wedge ostectomy is where you remove a wedge of bone to realign the, realign the limb. Uh, and then, of course, you need lots of metallic implants to then stabilize essentially that uh, complete fracture that you've created. Um, the outcome is not perfect, but the, um, but the authors reported uh, that they were satisfied with the outcome and the owner and the horse was comfortable. So um, a pretty good outcome there uh, with this sort of very invasive approach, uh, utilizing CT. Time is flying by. Pastern orthodesis. Uh, Jeff Watkins, for those of you uh, who have done some surgery on pasterns, you'll know that name. Uh, he's published a case series on, 28, um, uh, on 29 horses undergoing pastern uh, arthrodesis. Again, useful information from this paper is that 11 of 19 performance horses that returned to athletic performance only did so after six months. So they're still still lame at six months, but then subsequently uh, went on to become sound. So uh, be patient with these cases. Sometimes there's nothing to chop out or to put in, but don't worry, we're still happy to operate. I want to just talk about another standing procedure. Um, and, it, and again, this is not something we're advocating as a first line treatment, but in those situations where general anesthetic is completely uh, precluded, I think standing flank laparotomy should be considered a viable um, salvage procedure for horses where GA is not an option, but they're colicking. Because actually 16 to 36 horses in this case series to survive uh, is actually pretty, uh, pretty good considering um, and they had a variety of lesions, so both small intestinal and large colon lesions. So something to consider. Uh, certainly we're all not uh, particularly au fait with the procedure, unlike our, um, our colleagues in farm practice. Uh, so it is something that we need to train on and become, uh, become better at. Uh, but it is uh, and does seem to be um, trending uh, as a sort of a, a salvage procedure for some of these colic horses. Uh, Robustus' colic, uh, just uh, I mentioned these two papers, it, this lends weight because surgeons often talk about whether or not they're advocates for um, head and tail ropes in, uh, for anesthetic recovery. Uh, and here we've got some evidence again just to support the use of head and tail ropes from Lewis Loro, who is an anaesthetist in, uh, in Liverpool. And this is my final paper. Uh, this isn't a case series or indeed a case study, but it's a matched cohort study. Uh, so ALDDFT is the accessory ligament of the deep digital flexor tendon that used to be called the inferior check ligament um, and desmotomy of it means cutting it. So it's cut um, for flexural limb deformity uh, of the, uh, affecting the DIP joint. So essentially where the deep digital flexor tendon is foreshortened relative to its corresponding bony column. Um, used to be called kind of DDFT contracture. Anyway, that's why the surgery is performed. This is a matched cohort study. Keep your eye out for those. Um, they're certainly higher up the totem pole in case series uh, in terms of their evidence um, and the quality of research. Um, they use the cases and then controls and compare the outcome uh, of cases versus controls. Um, and the take-home message is that both cases and controls had similar 
um, um, similar um, outcome in terms of entering competition, uh, but the career length was shorter for cases uh, over controls. So uh, an interesting study there, and I'll wrap it up. Thank you for your attention, and kudos to those who have published. Thank you very much, Dave. That's an impressive number of articles you've covered in 15 minutes. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Channel podcast. More about the subjects discussed today can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash evj.